You're listening to episode 41 of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What is happening, my fellow money owners? I'm super excited about this episode. I've been thinking about health a lot lately. Um, we had a little bit of a health scare in my family. My dad's doing great now, but we actually, we thought he had COVID and then it turns out he, he just needed open heart surgery, you know, no big deal. Um, so anyways, he's fine. He's recovering. He's actually doing really well. And, um, I'm really grateful for all the healthcare professionals out there, but because of that, and because of what we went through over the last month or so, I've been thinking about health quite a bit and, Health, actually, I honestly think that this can be multiple topics. Um, and today we're going to focus on certain specific things regarding health. Um, but health and finance are linked. They're just, they just are. <laughs> and it's interesting because there are certain things that are really good for your wallet that are also good for your health um, within reason, obviously, right? So like cooking at home, for example, it's a lot healthier for you to know what you're putting into your food. And presumably if you buy good ingredients, and you cook at home more often than, and you're also good at obviously at like measuring out your portions and being reasonable about what you eat, then you're more likely to be healthier. Um, and other things that are kind of like that too, is like spending time with family, doing reasonable activities. There's a lot of things that you can do with your kids that don't cost that much money. You can go for a hike. It doesn't really cost very much for you to, you know, put together a little picnic lunch and get out there. Um, and a lot of trails are, are free. Um, so that's another thing that's really nice. And you get outside time and you spend time doing your family and you're de-stressing, right? And these things, right, are linked where if you're not spending a lot of money, let's say on activities, and you're also getting outside and spending time with your family, your health and your finances in that situation would be linked. Um, same thing with working out outside. Um, I generally see people who like maybe they ride like to ride a bike outside or they run outside. Um they don't go to a big fancy gym all the time. And so maybe they're not spending $200 a month on their gym that they don't go to that often, but instead they're getting, they're combining the out, you know, getting like that good sunshine and that good vitamin D with also something that is good for your health. And they're also good for your wallet if you're not spending that much money doing it. Um, I've seen working out outside, get out of control. So, so I'm not going to say always, um, you can spend a lot of money on bikes. You can spend a lot of money on workout clothing. Um, you can spend a lot of money on a bunch of equipment that you like to use outside or in your home gym or garage. Um, I like to think though, that a home gym is actually a really good investment. Um, we actually have a home gym in our house. We have a Peloton bike and we also have a weight rack, um, and a weight bench and some other stuff. And I use it. I use it all the time. And I actually work out because we did that as opposed to me belonging to a gym and then just feeling bad about the fact that I can only go two days a week because I don't have childcare or something else. Um, so one of the nice things about, let's say working out at home, having a garage gym or being able to work out near your house is if you have kids, especially you don't need to pay anyone to watch them and you can also get your workouts in, or maybe they can do it with you. Cause it's something that's not so complicated where a kid's not allowed in the gym. Um, you know, you got to get creative about how you spend your money. Um, it's something that I recently tweeted about and I got some backlash. <laughs> some people were excited about it, but yeah, I mean, you have to be creative 
when it comes to your finances. And, and one of the things that's really cool about being creative and working on how you spend your money is that it's actually good for your brain, right? It's an exercise, um, especially if you're the kind of person that avoids doing these kinds of things and avoids doing things with your money. Um, when you start to think about your money and get creative about your money and use a different part of your brain to think about your money, it's really good for your health and also good for your finances. Um, there, I've seen people kind of get out of control though with this stuff, <laughs> um, for sure. And, um, like food spending is a, is a really good example of this. On the one hand, it actually, I think it is really good for you to buy high quality foods to, um, to shop organic when it makes sense, um, to be purchasing, you know, meats and fish and, um, chicken that are, you know, sustainable and that are, you know, not like farmed with a bunch of mercury in them. Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like it is actually better for your health. And while it is more expensive, it's one of those things where if you're really good about cooking at home and you're not going out so often, then maybe you don't care if your grocery bill is a little bit higher than usual. Um, it is better for your health to be doing things like that. And still you're knowing what you're cooking and what you're putting in your food and all that other stuff, which is better for your health than let's say going out all the time. So um, I think actually it is still economical to do it that way. I mean, we do get like my husband really likes um, prime uh, ribeye steaks and we don't we don't scrimp on that. <laughs> I mean, like they're really high quality steaks and we take, you know, care in buying them and, you know, we don't go out of control. We don't buy like crazy, but like at the same time, um, we can feed our entire family and have leftovers with the steak that we buy. That would be the equivalent of getting a steak at a restaurant. Right. So, um, just things to be thinking about. Um, there are metrics too, when you think about it, like how, where health and finance are kind of linked in other ways that aren't, aren't necessarily like, it's not necessarily good for your finances, but you can think about it similarly. Um, so I actually really like to use a budgeting as an example. Um, so for instance, if you are trying to lose weight or gain strength, or you have any kind of health goal, generally, if you're tracking your food, you'll have a pretty good idea of what's going in. And you, and you generally probably, if you're measuring and you're looking at what you're doing over time, you might have a good idea of what's going out just based on what the scale is doing, what your body is looking like and everything else. Um, I'm not saying you have to go track your food or anything. Um, and we also, we generally don't recommend that people do that with their finances, but for a short period of time, it's actually a good exercise to see, you know, what, how things are working, what's coming in, what's going out, what are we doing? Um, finances are like that too, right? Like you have a budget in your, in your body, your body can only eat so much before it starts to put on weight, maybe, or before it starts to lose muscle. Um, same thing with your finances, right? You can only spend so much before you're in debt, <laughs> before you get yourself in a precarious situation that's not financially healthy. Um, and so when you're thinking about these things, right, or if you want to make changes in your financial life, or you want to make changes to your health, right, you have to examine what's going on in your total health picture and see, okay, maybe I can eat a little less refined sugar here, and maybe I can work out a little bit more there. And you do little things and you sprinkle them in throughout your day, right? So that way, it's not like, you know, you don't go on this extreme crash diet where, you know, you, every, you deprive yourself of everything. And then in two weeks, you basically binge on the whole world and you don't work out for another four, four years because you hated that diet so much, right? Like that's bad. And same thing with finances, right? Like we found that when clients go on a severe, austere budget where they're trying to pay down as much debt as quickly as possible because they racked up a bunch, that doesn't really work because it doesn't give them enough wiggle room to to enjoy now while they're, you know, paying down their debt. Um, and it also just puts them in a situation where they feel like they can't do it. Um, and I don't want that for you. If that, if that's where you are, you know, if, if you have, you know, proverbially put on a bunch of excess finance weight, 
in the form of debt. Um, going on a crash diet isn't going to help you, right? Making incremental changes every single day will. Um, and it's also better for your health, right? Because you won't be so stressed out trying to do all the things for your finances um, that you like, you know, end up with a stroke or an ulcer or a heart attack, right? We don't want any of that. Um, and that's actually going to cost you more money. So the best way to go about it is to figure out a plan that works for you. And what you need to do is sit down and think to yourself, okay, what can I do? What changes can I make? Um, and and I really, really want to emphasize results first here, right? If you want to make a change about your finances, think about what that change is supposed to be. And then think about what you can do to achieve that to get there. And doing that is really good for pretty much any outcome, right? <laughs> if you're trying to do time management, right? Thinking about the result that you want to achieve. Okay, I want to make better use of my time. How can I do that? Come up with a list of five things, right? Like that's how we achieve things is by thinking of what the result is and then coming up with a plan to actually do those things and then taking action on it, executing on the things that we say what we're going to do and honoring ourselves and telling ourselves that we're actually able to do it and then following through and proving to ourselves that we can do it. That's how you make incremental lasting change. Um, all right. So got a little off the rails here, but I want to bring it back to <laughs> finance and health. So less money stress is linked with better health outcomes. So if you're fighting with your spouse a lot, go listen to episode 38 about that because um, it's really important that you're not fighting with your spouse. Um, <laughs> they did a study in 2018 at UCLA um, and also at Duke University. And basically what they found was when they looked at a bunch of different groups of U.S. adults during the 2008 to 2010 recession, they found very high significant increases in blood pressure and also blood glucose levels, um, which both of those obviously are not good for your health. So um and they found also that certain groups of adults were disproportionately affected. So if you were still in the workforce and you're relatively young, you probably maybe felt like you could lose your job. Um, they were disproportionately affected and also older homeowners whose um, homes were declining in value and they felt like it was going to negatively affect their long-term financial plans. Those were just, those people were disproportionately affected as well. The other thing that they found was that there was a huge rush of financial executives um, that had, were displaying signs of depression, had ulcers, had anxiety, sleep disturbances, and other psychosomatic symptoms as a result of the 2008 to 2010 recession. I imagine that if they were studying populations right now, given everything that's going on with coronavirus, um, that we would probably see something pretty similar. Um, there's a lot of people under significant financial stress, plus the fact that there's a there's like an actual health event going on right now. Um, I was actually just talking to my colleagues about this. Um, <laughs> like, arguably, th this coronavirus is worse than the um, than the 2008 recession. Um, nobody really died in the 2008 recession, right? There were suicides, obviously. But um, it's not like what's going on right now where not only are people unemployed, but they're also dying. Um, so not to make light of it, but I'm just saying. Um, anyways, so money stress is also linked with money scripts, um, particularly money avoidance. And we talked about money scripts um, briefly in episode nine, um, my book, which will be coming out in September. I know I originally said August, but it's actually September. So, you know, hold your horses. Um, we're actually going to go pretty much pretty in depth about money scripts as well, because it's so important. And I, I think it's like one of the cornerstones of finance, just because whatever you think in your brain is definitely what you're doing. <laughs> and if you haven't changed what you think in your brain, you're definitely still doing it. Like that's just the way it is. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean, so if you have money scripts, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go away. Um, I think that one of the common misconceptions about um, changing 
just change in general really is that you can you can completely replace thoughts in your brain with other thoughts. Um, that's not really true, right? Some things that are going to be deeply ingrained in your brain, it's like um, imagine you had a wheelbarrow and every day you took your wheelbarrow out and you went to get rocks from your backyard, right? And every day you went down the same path with that wheelbarrow. And if you never took the wheelbarrow out of that rut, if every day you kept going in the same rut on that wheelbarrow, right? After a while, it's going to be really hard to move that wheelbarrow outside of that rut that keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper in the path as you go to your backyard, especially as you start loading heavy rocks into your wheelbarrow, right? And bringing them back up. So your brain is kind of like that, right? Like you have thoughts in your brain that are ruts that have been, they're just deeply ingrained in there and you keep running that wheelbarrow over and over and over again, right? So one day when you decide to take the wheelbarrow and put it on a different path, it's, I actually find it really kind of amusing that we all think that we're just going to stay on that path and that the wheelbarrow is never going to stray back. <laughs> of course, it's going to stray back, right? It's like, that's a deeply ingrained path. It's a lot easier to take the wheelbarrow down. That's why you kept taking it down that single, that path to begin with, right? doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best path, right? It might actually not be the quickest way for you to go get those rocks in your backyard anymore, because maybe you got all of those that were sort of close by and now you have to go in a different direction. Um, and you're, you're, your brain is like that too. Your finances are like that. Your whole being really is like that. If you keep going down the same rut, right, things aren't really going to change. And it's okay if that where you originally wanted to go, you got there. But if you want to go somewhere else now, right, you have to do things to change that to create a new rut. And that old rut is it's not going to go away, right? Like um, rain will sort of come by and wash wash it through. Maybe it'll get a little less deep if you don't keep going through that rut, but it'll still be there. Um, and I wanted to remind you of that because I feel like sometimes we just think like, oh, well, you know, I don't do that anymore. I don't have to worry about that. I don't, you know, I'm not an overspender anymore. I don't do that anymore. But meanwhile, like it's only been maybe a couple of years since you were in debt. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go back into debt, right? But it does mean that you have to worry about maintenance and that you do have to worry about managing your thoughts because you had, you know, found a new wheelbarrow rut to go down that's now working for you, but it's very easy to go back. Um, and it's like your old frenemy, you know, <laughs> feels really comfortable, but not necessarily good for you. So, um, money stress though is linked with money scripts and particularly money avoidance and money avoidance is one of those things where it's like, I don't really like dealing with money. It's never really going to change. <laughs> and basically it's like you ignore your financial worries and they just go away. Um, and you habitually avoid dealing with money. Um, and this actually is, you would think on the one hand, you're like, oh, well, that's been helping me because I don't have to deal with this stress. But in another way, it's more like repression and denial. <laughs> that you have these money problems. Um, and it's kind of festering underneath. Um, and it, it is probably causing some sort of anxiety. Um, maybe some other psychosomatic symptoms, depending on how deeply ingrained this is in you and how you're reacting to the different stressors that are being presented to you. So I would examine, I would examine some of the things that you're thinking. Um, and, if you, if you really are feeling like your health and your finances are not linked, <laughs> why is that? Yeah. What, what's coming up for you? Um, what's that thing that you've been told all your life that you never really questioned and maybe you should anyways. So that's just some, some light notes on financial health, um, <laughs> and how financial health and, uh, finances and health are linked. Basically. I did want to get a little bit into the health insurance discussion. Um, I don't want to go too, too deeply into it, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, it is an important part of our society. And I, I think it is, it's actually a pretty big deal, right? Like the number one problem with health insurance today is that it's not really portable and it's linked to your employer. Um, and so if you don't really work for a large employer, or you don't have a spouse that works for a large employer, then you're not really going to get access to high quality health insurance. Um, and also like, yeah, they have the exchanges right now, but like, I don't know. It depends really on what state you live, right? If you live in New York, like you have basically the crappiest options I have ever seen in my life and nobody can really do anything about it. I always get these ads on LinkedIn that they're like, oh, I can help your clients find their health plan. And I'm like, okay, what do you have in New York? And they're like, uh, does your client have a second address somewhere where we can insure them? (laughs) Like if they did, I wouldn't need you. (laughs) Um, anyways, so the other thing is, right. If you run your own business, you kind of need to be a small organization to get access to to these decent healthcare plans as well. Um, otherwise you're kind of stuck with the exchange. So if it's just you and one employee, then, you know, you're kind of SOL. If it's you and five employees, now it's a different story. You're a group. You can probably go to a company like Trinet, um, or Gusto and get a health plan for, you know, your company with the payroll and everything else. Um, the costs are absurd. I think is kind of the other thing. (laughs) I mean, it's like absolutely ridiculous. So when I was paying for our health insurance, um, what, when my husband and I were both self-employed, that was a really fun time where I would just like every month see the auto draft go out of my account of like, it was like almost $1,800 a month. And I would just be like, ugh. and I think the worst part about it now, looking back on it is like, I paid blue cross blue shield basically out of pocket. (laughs) an entire year. And then they came back to me this year and they were like, we decided that you had secondary coverage through Cigna, which, which I didn't. Um, and therefore we've decided to, um, revoke all, um, healthcare payments that we made over 2018. Um, and we decided to send all of your doctors to collections. (laughs) It was just like, uh, Okay. So of course, like one of our doctors sent us the collections because like, and they, this happened so quickly too, because they were like in 2018, they decided to deny claims from 2018. And then they were like, oh, well, your payment's overdue. So we're just going to send you to collections. Um, so that was really, really fun. Um, <laughs> so I had to take care of that and then try to get it removed from my credit report, which we thankfully did. But um, anyways, that was a little bit off the rails. But what I'm saying here, right, it's like $1,800 a month for a family of three is, it's, it's pretty high. Um, and I've seen it higher. <laughs> Not to mention if you're um, if you're also using, let's say, out of network benefits, that stuff can really rack up because like the um, plan itself only has to pay a certain percentage of what Medicare covers, um, and Medicare actually doesn't cover that much. Um, we've seen this quite a bit where um, some of my older clients who have Medicare they're noticing that like things just their doctors just don't take it. Um, so yeah, I don't really have an answer for this. Um, I generally believe that a single single payer healthcare system means that it will be worse. Um, I have pretty much no faith in the government being able to manage a healthcare project. Um, I know a lot of other people do, but um, I don't. I generally find dealing with them and it just to be horrible. Um, and dealing with insurance companies is pretty bad. So I like... <laughs> I feel like if it's possible, if the government actually ran its own insurance program, it would be even worse than what you deal with right now, which is actually horrible. So, um, yeah, I mean, probably like increasing competition and removing state um, state restrictions on health insurance, making these things, you know, be, be able to compete across state lines would probably help some of this stuff. Um, coming, get bringing back catastrophic plans would help too. Um, that's not currently available for the, for most people. 
Um, and most people only need that, right? If you're a young person, what do you need, right? You need, I accidentally got into a car accident and I now have, you know, a hundred thousand dollar healthcare bill, not like I need every little thing that could possibly come up covered. Um, that kind of stuff is like regular day-to-day stuff that you probably could budget for and would be probably cheaper if we had it going through a, like a actual free market, but that's besides the point. Um, anyways, I do think, though, that health events can derail a financial plan. Um, And I think it depends on what it is that you get, when you get it, how you get it, all that stuff, right? That kind of all, right? If you're in an accident and it's somebody else's fault, then you probably can go down the, like, the medical settlement route um, and be fine. You'll probably have a bunch of liens and other things in the meantime until the settlement gets sorted out. But you'll be okay. But if, let's say, I don't know, you're, like, 18 and you get leukemia or something like that, like, there's kind of nobody to blame there. There's nobody to sue, um, usually, unless it's like an Aaron Brockovich situation, right? And in which case, um, if you don't have good insurance, then, or you have really high out-of-pocket limits or deductibles, it could actually be really catastrophic for a family to go through something like that. Um, Generally, though, what we see is that health events derail financial plans later in life. Um, And that's for obvious reasons, right? As you get older, you have more health events that potentially come up. Um, You need more costly procedures. You maybe need um, a nursing home or some other skilled facility that can help you or hospice or um, an aide that can come to your house to help you with like day-to-day activities. Um, I know a lot of people think that Medicare will cover them. Um, Medicare, so if you have a hospital stay, Medicare only covers up to 90 days in the hospital. Um, And then they will offer you an additional 60 days with a pretty high coinsurance that you'll also have to pay for those additional 60 days. But that 60-day reserve is only available to you in your lifetime, right? So if for whatever reason you have some catastrophic um, health event happen and you have to stay in the hospital 150 days and you're only 70, you don't get those 60 days ever again. Um, you do get the 90 days though, the following year. So hopefully you don't go beyond the 150 in that first year. <laughs> right. And then the next year, maybe you need a 90, 90 years, stay, 90 days stay, excuse me. You never get those 60 days though. Again, that, that's kind of part of your lifetime benefits. So, um, I think it really depends on what your health looks like for sure. And why it is really important to be taking care of yourself as much as possible throughout your life. Um, and obviously, you know, being cost conscious as you do it. Um, I mean, I've seen costs really get out of control when people are like, you know, they're paying out of pocket for the acupuncture and the massage therapist and the chiropractor and physical therapy. And, you know, you, you name it, they're getting it. Um, and you know, they're having somebody come to their house to give them an IV vitamin cocktail, right? Like you can really go crazy with the health stuff. Um, (laughs) you're taking like collagen peptides every single day and you like utterly refuse to eat anything other than extremely, you know, expensive grass fed beef. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, but when I, (laughs) right. But what I am saying though, is right. Like these things could, they can get out of control. I've seen them get out of control. Um, you need to balance that right with like, you know, what's going to help me for, you know, have longevity in my life and be able to manage some of these things later on. Um, I really think the best way to manage these things later on is to save. So one of the reasons why we always recommend that people save at least 10%, but really should be saving 20% of their income, um, is because right. You want to have flexibility, right? You don't want to worry about the fact that Medicare only covers 90 days in your hospital stay (laughs) and another 60 days in your lifetime reserve, right? Like you want to be like, okay, whatever. Like I have a health event right now. I've saved money through my life. I want to, you know, find the doctor that's going to help me. I don't care what it costs. Um, or, you know, my insurance will pick up part of it. Um, it's one of the reasons though, why people generally 
do take a Medicare supplement plan. The supplement plans, it also depends, though, on the supplement plan. So you have to really look into what that supplement plan will cover. The other thing that we typically see derail financial plans is the skilled nursing, the nursing home facilities. Um, So Medicare will cover some. They cover up to 100 days, but they are... (laughs) They are stingy about 100 days. So people are like, oh, well, Medicare is going to cover 100 days for me, so I'm going to be fine. Except that the average stay in a nursing home is 865 days. Okay, so what are you doing for the other 765 days when Medicare isn't covering you? And by the way, your supplement plan is not going to cover it either. Um, So that's kind of when long-term care comes into play. Um, It is very expensive, though. So if you are finding that you're able to save like five or $6,000 a year um, in your 50s, then maybe you start a little long-term care insurance fund because you may or may not actually be somebody who needs to stay in a nursing facility for 865 days or more. That's an average day. Um, What Medicare will do, right, is for the first one to 20 days, Medicare will pay for the full cost of your covered services um, in a nursing home, not an assisted living facility. You don't pay anything. Yay. Thank you, Medicare. Oh, that's so generous of you. You paid for the first 20 days. Thank you. Um, I only paid (laughs) 7.65% into your OASDI program for my entire life to get 20 days. Um, (laughs) For days 21 to 100, Medicare will pay everything except that you pay a daily co-insurance of $176 per day. And that $176 is actually adjusted every single year. It's $176 in 2020. So for the next 80 days, if you're actually in a facility, you pay $14,080 and they'll pay the rest. For days 100 and beyond, Medicare pays nothing. So if let's say you had an average day of 865 days, then, and the national average actually is running uh, $245 a day in in these skilled nursing facilities, the cost is rough. It's going to run you roughly $200,000. So um, I actually was kind of surprised that I thought that that was cheap. (laughs) Which I guess like, like kind of like skews where my brain is and like who I deal with and what we're looking at, like for assisted living facilities and everything else. Like I have some clients who had like their, you know, their mom's in like a $8,000 a month or $10,000 a month assisted living facility. So um, like in my head I, and like, you know, I, I just think to myself like, oh, it's definitely going to be more than $200,000. Um, but I guess that's why these um, long-term care plans are able to... Um, charge what they do and manage the cost and everything else. Um, <laughs> also, they have people who don't stay that long or who don't stay at all, who buy long-term care insurance, right? That's something that does happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think though, right, if you're able to find it in your heart to save money and if you're saving 20% of your income, you for sure will be able to co- recover $200,000 in healthcare costs um, in today's dollars, right? It'll be, I don't know how old you are, so it'll be something else in future dollars for sure. Um That said, though, right, like, isn't it better to just feel like you have enough where it doesn't really matter and where you could, let's say, go to an assisted living facility instead of a skilled nursing facility at the end? Like, that's really where you want to be at the end when you really can't do anything, right? It's not where you want to be when you're, like, still 80 and with it and want to play, you know, uh, Canasta or whatever is really cool at that time. Um, So something to think about for sure. Um, Yeah, I think you probably got like a really weird window into my brain today. So um, thanks for listening. Um, That is really all I had for this week's episode of Money Owners. I really appreciate all of you listeners. Um, It really warms my heart that you listen to the show and that you like the show. Um, If you do like the show, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your dog, tell everyone you know that the show is awesome and that they should listen to it. Um, Please write me a review on iTunes. I really appreciate it if you would give me five stars and you would write me something nice. Um, You know, if you hate the show, though, write something else. I don't care. Do what you want. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> you hate the show. Why are you listening to it? Um, anyways, and um, if you have a specific topic that you want covered on the show, I'm all ears. Um, find me on Twitter at Morgan with an E Rochard or at money underscore owners. You can also go to our website, moneyowners.com forward slash ask Morgan, or you can just put a comment in there and tell me what you want to hear. Um, I kind of just talk about whatever I'm interested in. <laughs> which I, I know maybe not necessarily might not necessarily be what you're interested in. So, um, something to consider for sure. And, um, yeah, stay cool. It is very hot out there, especially in Texas. And I'll talk to y'all in two weeks. (laughs) 